Section 22 of The Wonderful Adventures of Nils. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Wonderful Adventures of Nils by Selma Lagerlöf. Translated by Velma Swanston Howard. THE STORY OF CAR AND GRAYSKIN PART ONE CAR About twelve years before Nils Holgersson started on his travels with the wild geese, there was a manufacturer at Kolmården who wanted to be rid of one of his dogs. He sent for his gamekeeper and said to him that it was impossible to keep the dog, because he could not be broken of the habit of chasing all the sheep and fowl he set eyes on and he asked the man to take the dog into the forest and shoot him. The gamekeeper slipped the leash on the dog to lead him to a spot in the forest where all the superannuated dogs from the manor were shot and buried. He was not a cruel man, but he was very glad to shoot that dog, for he knew that sheep and chickens were not the only creatures he hunted. Times without number he had gone into the forest, and helped himself to a hare or a grouse chick. The dog was a little black and tan setter. His name was Carr, and he was so wise he understood all that was said. As the gamekeeper was leading him through the thickets, Carr knew only too well what was in store for him. But this no one could have guessed by his behaviour, for he neither hung his head nor dragged his tail, but seemed as unconcerned as ever. It was because they were in the forest that the dog was so careful not to appear the least bit anxious. There were great stretches of woodland on every side of the factory, and this forest was famed both among animals and human beings, because for many, many years the owners had been so careful of it that they had begrudged themselves even the trees needed for firewood. Nor had they had the heart to thin or train them. The trees had been allowed to grow as they pleased. Naturally, a forest thus protected was a beloved refuge for wild animals, which were to be found there in great numbers. Among themselves they called it Liberty Forest, and regarded it as the best retreat in the whole country. As the dog was being led through the woods, he thought of what a bugaboo he had been to all the small animals and birds that lived there. Now, Carr, wouldn't they be happy in their lairs if they only knew what was awaiting you, he thought. But at the same time he wagged his tail and barked cheerfully, so that no one should think that he was worried or depressed. What fun would there have been in living had I not hunted occasionally, he reasoned. Let him who will regret, it's not going to be Carr. But the instant the dog said this, a singular change came over him. He stretched his neck as though he had a mind to howl. He no longer throttled alongside the gamekeeper, but walked behind him. It was plain that he had begun to think of something unpleasant. It was early summer. The elk cows had just given birth to their young, and the night before the dog had succeeded in parting from its mother an elk calf not more than five days old and had driven it down into the marsh. There he had chased it back and forth over the knolls, not with the idea of capturing it, 
but merely for the sport of seeing how he could scare it. The elk cow knew that the marsh was bottomless so soon after the thaw, and that it could not as yet hold up so large an animal as herself. So she stood on the solid earth for the longest time watching. But when Carr kept chasing the calf farther and farther away, she rushed out on the march, drove the dog off, took the calf with her, and turned back toward firm land. Elk are more skilled than other animals in traversing dangerous marshy ground, and it seemed as if she would reach solid land in safety. But when she was almost there, a knoll which she had stepped upon sank into the mire, and she went down with it. She tried to rise, but could get no secure foothold, so she sank and sank. Carr stood and looked on, not daring to move. When he saw that the elk could not save herself, he ran away as fast as he could, for he had begun to think of the beating he would get if it were discovered that he had brought a mother elk to grief. He was so terrified that he dared not pause for breath until he reached home. It was this that the dog recalled and it troubled him in a way very different from the recollection of all his other misdeeds. This was doubtless because he had not really meant to kill either the elk cow or her calf, but had deprived them of life without wishing to do so. But maybe they are alive yet, thought the dog. They were not dead when I ran away. Perhaps they saved themselves. He was seized with an irresistible longing to know for a certainty, while yet there was time for him to find out. He noticed that the gamekeeper did not have a firm hold on the leash, so he made a sudden spring, broke loose, and dashed through the woods down to the marsh with such speed that he was out of sight before the gamekeeper had time to level his gun. There was nothing for the gamekeeper to do but to rush after him. When he got to the marsh, he found the dog standing upon a knoll, howling with all his might. The man thought he had better find out the meaning of this, so he dropped his gun and crawled out over the marsh on hands and knees. He had not gone far when he saw an elk cow lying dead in the quagmire. Close beside her lay a little calf. It was still alive, but so much exhausted that it could not move. Carr was standing beside the calf now bending down and licking it, now howling shrilly for help. The gamekeeper raised the calf and began to drag it toward land. When the dog understood that her calf would be saved, he was wild with joy. He jumped round and round the gamekeeper, licking his hands and barking with delight. The man carried the baby elk home and shut it up in a calf stall in the cowshed. Then he got help to drag the mother elk from the marsh. Only after this had been done did he remember that he was to shoot Carr. He called the dog to him and again took him into the forest. The gamekeeper walked straight on toward the dog's grave, but all the while he seemed to be thinking deeply. Suddenly he turned and walked toward the manor. Carr had been trotting along quietly, but when the gamekeeper turned and started for home, he became anxious. The man must have discovered that it was he that had caused the death of the elk, and now he was going back to the manor to be thrashed before he was shot. To be beaten was worse than all else. With that prospect Carr could no longer keep up his spirits, but hung his head. When he came to the manor he did not look up, but pretended that he knew no one there. 
The master was standing on the stairs leading to the hall when the gamekeeper came forward. "'Where on earth did that dog come from?' he exclaimed. "'Surely it can't be Carr. He must be dead this long time.' Then the man began to tell his master all about the mother elk, while Carr made himself as little as he could, and crouched behind the gamekeeper's legs. Much to his surprise, the man had only praise for him. He said it was plain the dog knew that the elk were in distress and wished to save them. "'You may do as you like, but I can't shoot that dog,' declared the gamekeeper. Carr raised himself and pricked up his ears. He could hardly believe that he heard aright. Although he did not want to show how anxious he had been, he couldn't help whining a little. Could it be possible that his life was to be spared simply because he had felt uneasy about the elk? The master thought that Carr had conducted himself well, but as he did not want the dog, he could not decide at once what should be done with him. If you will take charge of him and answer for his good behavior in the future, he may as well live, he said finally. This the gamekeeper was only too glad to do, and that was how Carr came to move to the gamekeeper's lodge. Grayskin's Flight from the day that Carr went to live with the gamekeeper, he abandoned entirely his forbidden chase in the forest. This was due not only to his having been thoroughly frightened, but also to the fact that he did not wish to make the gamekeeper angry at him. Ever since his new master saved his life, the dog loved him above everything else. He thought only of following him and watching over him. If he left the house, Carr would run ahead to make sure that the way was clear, and if he sat at home, Carr would lie before the door and keep a close watch on everyone who came and went. When all was quiet at the lodge, when no footsteps were heard on the road, and the gamekeeper was working in his garden, Carr would amuse himself playing with the baby elk. At first the dog had no desire to leave his master, even for a moment. Since he accompanied him everywhere, he went with him to the cowshed. When he gave the elk calf its milk, the dog would sit outside the stall and gaze at it. The gamekeeper called the calf Grayskin because he thought it did not merit a prettier name, and Carr agreed with him on that point. Every time the dog looked at it, he thought that he had never seen anything so ugly and mishappen as the baby elk with its long, shambly legs, which hung down from the body like loose stilts. The head was large, old, and wrinkled, and it always drooped to one side. The skin lay in tucks and folds, as if the animal had put on a coat that had not been made for him. Always doleful and discontented, curiously enough he jumped up every time Carr appeared, as if glad to see him. The elk calf became less hopeful from day to day, did not grow any, and at last he could not even rise when he saw Carr. Then the dog jumped up into the crib to greet him, and thereupon a light kindled in the eyes of the poor creature, as if a cherished longing were fulfilled. After that Carr visited the elk calf every day, and spent many hours with him, licking his coat, playing and racing with him, till he taught him a little of everything a forest animal should know. It was remarkable that, from the time Carr began to visit the elk calf in his stall, the latter seemed more contented and began to grow. 
After he was fairly started, he grew so rapidly that in a couple of weeks the stall could no longer hold him, and he had to be moved into a groove. When he had been in the groove two months, his legs were so long that he could step over the fence whenever he wished. Then the lord of the manor gave the gamekeeper permission to put up a higher fence and to allow him more space. Here the elk lived for several years and grew up into a strong and handsome animal. Carr kept him company as often as he could, but now it was no longer through pity, for a great friendship had sprung up between the two. The elk was always inclined to be melancholy, listless and indifferent, but Carr knew how to make him playful and happy. Grayskin had lived for five summers on the gamekeeper's place, when his owner received a letter from a zoological garden abroad, asking if the elk might be purchased. The master was pleased with the proposal, the gamekeeper was distressed, but had not the power to say no, so it was decided that the elk should be sold. Carr soon discovered what was in the air, and ran over to the elk to have a chat with him. The dog was very much distressed at the thought of losing his friend, but the elk took the matter calmly, and seemed neither glad nor sorry. "'Do you think of letting them send you away without offering resistance?' asked Carr. "'What good would it do to resist?' asked Grayskin. "'I should prefer to remain where I am, naturally. But if I've been sold, I shall have to go, of course.' Carr looked at Grayskin and measured with his eyes. It was apparent that the elk was not yet full grown. He did not have the broad antlers, high hump, and long mane of the mature elk, but he certainly had strength enough to fight for his freedom. One can see that he has been in captivity all his life, thought Carr, but said nothing. Carr left and did not return to the groove till long past midnight. By that time, he knew Grayskin would be awake and eating his breakfast. "'Of course you are doing right, Grayskin, in letting them take you away,' remarked Carr, who appeared now to be calm and satisfied. "'You will be a prisoner in a large park and will have no responsibilities. It seems a pity that you must leave here without having seen the forest. You know your ancestors have a saying that the elk are one with the forest.' But you haven't even been in a forest. Grayskin glanced up from the clover, which he stood munching. Indeed, I should love to see the forest, but how am I to get over the fence? He said with his usual apathy. Oh, that is difficult for one who has such short legs, said Carr. The elk glanced slyly at the dog, who jumped the fence many times a day, little as he was. He walked over to the fence, and with one spring he was on the other side, without knowing how it happened. Then Carr and Grayskin went into the forest. It was a beautiful moonlight night in late summer, but in among the trees it was dark, and the elk walked along slowly. "'Perhaps we had better turn back,' said Carr. You who have never before tramped the wild forest might easily break your legs. Grayskin moved more rapidly and with more courage. Carr conducted the elk to a part of the forest where the pines grew so thickly that no wind could penetrate them. 
"'It is here that your kind are in the habit of seeking shelter from cold and storm,' said Carr. "'Here they stand under the open skies all winter. "'But you will fare much better where you are going, "'for you will stand in a shed with a roof over your head like an ox.' Grayskin made no comment, but stood quietly and drank in the strong, piney air. "'Have you anything more to show me, or have I now seen the whole forest?' he asked. Then Carr went with him to a big marsh and showed him clods and quagmire. "'Over this marsh the elk take flight when they are in peril,' said Carr. "'I don't know how they manage it, but large and heavy as they are, they can walk here without sinking. Of course you couldn't hold yourself up on such dangerous ground.' But then there is no occasion for you to do so, for you will never be hounded by hunters. Grayskin made no retort, but with a leap he was out on the march, and happy when he felt how the clods rocked under him. He dashed across the marsh, and came back again to Carr without having stepped into a mud hole. Have we seen the whole forest now? he asked. No, not yet, said Carr. He next conducted the elk to the skirt of the forest, where fine oaks, lindens, and aspens grew. Here your kind eat leaves and bark, which they consider the choicest of food, but you will probably get better fare abroad. Grayskin was astonished when he saw the enormous leaf trees spreading like a great canopy above him. He ate both oak leaves and aspen bark. These taste deliciously bitter and good, he remarked, better than clover. Then wasn't it well that you should taste them once, said the dog. Thereupon he took the elk down to a little forest lake. The water was as smooth as a mirror and reflected the shores, which were veiled in thin light mists. When Grayskin saw the lake, he stood entranced. What is this, Carr? he asked. It was the first time that he had seen a lake. "'It's a large body of water, a lake,' said Carr. "'Your people swim across it from shore to shore. "'One could hardly expect you to be familiar with this, "'but at least you should go in and take a swim.' Carr himself plunged into the water for a swim. Grayskin stayed back on the shore for some little time, but finally followed. He grew breathless with delight as the cool water stole soothingly around his body. He wanted it over his back, too, so he went farther out. Then he felt that the water could hold him up, and began to swim. He swam all around Carr, ducking and snorting, perfectly at home in the water. When they were on shore again, the dog asked if they had not better go home now. It's a long time until morning, observed Grayskin, so we can tramp around in the forest a little longer. They went again into the pine wood. Presently they came to an open glade, illuminated by the moonlight, where grass and flowers shimmered beneath the dew. Some large animals were grazing on this forest meadow. An elk bull, several elk cows, and a number of elk calves. When Grayskin caught sight of them, he stopped short. He hardly glanced at the cows or the young ones, but stared at the old bull, which had broad antlers, with many taglets, a high hump, and a long-haired fur piece hanging down from his throat. 
"'What kind of an animal is that?' asked Grayskin in wonderment. "'He is called Antler Crown,' said Karr, "'and he is your kinsman. "'One of these days you too will have broad antlers like those, "'and just such a mane, "'and if you were to remain in the forest, "'very likely you also would have a herd to lead.' If he is my kinsman, I must go closer and have a look at him, said Grayskin. I never dreamt that an animal could be so stately. Grayskin walked over to the elk, but almost immediately he came back to Carr, who had remained at the edge of the clearing. You were not very well received, were you? said Carr. I told him that this was the first time I had run across any of my kinsmen and asked if I might walk with them on their meadow. But they drew me back, threatening me with their antlers. "'You did right to retreat,' said Carr. "'A young elk bull with only one taglet crown must be careful about fighting with an old elk. Another would have disgraced his name in the whole forest by retreating without resistance. But such things needn't worry you, who are going to move to a foreign land.' Carr had barely finished speaking when Grayskin turned and walked down to the meadow. The old elk came toward him, and instantly they began to fight. Their antlers met and clashed, and Grayskin was driven backward over the whole meadow. Apparently he did not know how to make use of his strength, but when he came to the edge of the forest he planted his feet on the ground, pushed hard with his antlers, and began to force antler crown back. Grayskin fought quietly, while Antlercrown puffed and snorted. The old elk, in his turn, was now being forced backward over the meadow. Suddenly a loud crash was heard. A taglet in the old elk's antlers had snapped. He tore himself loose and dashed into the forest. Carr was still standing at the forest border when Grayskin came along. "'Now that you have seen what there is in the forest,' said Carr, "'Will you come home with me?' "'Yes, it's about time,' observed the elk. Both were silent on the way home. Carr sighed several times, as if he was disappointed about something. But Grayskin stepped along, his head in the air, and seemed delighted over the adventure. He walked ahead unhesitatingly until they came to the enclosure. Then he paused. He looked in at the narrow pen, where he had lived up till now, saw the beaten ground, the stale fodder, the little trough where he had drunk water, and the dark shed in which he had slept. "'The elk are one with the forest,' he cried. Then he threw back his head, so that his neck rested against his back, and rushed widely into the woods. End of the Story of Carr and Greyskin Part 1 Read by Lars Rolander.